Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set, so let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, if you're following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, wherever we're coming to you live today, make sure to hit that follow, subscribe button. You will be the first to know when Nimsy Insights publishes new industry research or when we schedule new live streams like this. Speaking of new live streams, we've got some upcoming events here. I want to make sure that you guys are all aware of this gem we have run by uh, NIMSI analyst Roman Sivan, reviewing internationalization challenges in 2023. And this is going to be run as a LinkedIn event, and it is available for signups now. It doesn't cost a penny, so make sure that you're going over there and signing up as soon as you can. It's going to be on May 30th next week. So if you're having internationalization challenges or find that an interesting topic, then that is the event for you. Now, I've talked enough about NIMSY. I'd like to turn it over, before we get into the meat and potatoes today, I'd like to turn it over to my colleague, Eddie, from Multilingual Magazine, who is somewhere with me here. Give me a sec. Which button do I press? Bam, Eddie. Right. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Tucker. Thank you so much. It's always really exciting to be here with your audience uh, at the NIMSI Live. And, and thank you for the opportunity. For those who don't know, my name is Eddie Arrieta. I lead Partner Success here at Multilingual Media. And we are the most influential global multi-platform publisher for the language and localization industries since 1987 close to 40 years now, and we are shipping to now 89 different countries, uh, uh, Tucker and, and, and our guests. And today, I just want to share something really valuable for those that don't know. As I mentioned in the stream yesterday, we accept press releases for free. You can send your image, you can send your link, and we will publish them completely free on Multilingual. All you have to do, multilingual.com slash submit hyphen news. There's a, a form there, fill it, and we'll get it process or just send us an email at news at multilingual.com and, and that's it Tucker as always I'm really looking forward to the conversation today uh, and seeing the comments from everyone in the audience thank you so much thank you for that Eddie so yeah if you have industry news head on over to multilingual.com forward slash submit and we'll make sure that we are getting you covered out there uh, before we get going a little bit too further, a uh, quick introduction to the platform. If this is your first event on LinkedIn Live, then it is uh, event format. So make sure that you're taking advantage of that networking tab. This is one of the few places you can actually meet and network with people that you aren't even connected to on LinkedIn if you're in the same event. So it's just like a real conference in that. Uh, if you leave comments, we're going to bring them up on screen here. Uh, comments, questions for us or for our guests, bring them. we'll bring them up on screen and make sure that we're addressing those throughout the program. And without further ado, I'll introduce today's topic. So you've probably heard the buzz surrounding large language models or LLMs like GPT-3, ChatGPT, Bing GPT. These models have captured the imagination of many, sparking discussions about the possibilities of artificial general intelligence and the role of machines in knowledge work. But the article we'll be discussing today from Multilingual Magazine challenges this notion that language is something that machines can truly master. Over the past five years, natural language processing has made significant strides with breakthroughs in neural machine translation and neural language generation systems. GPT-3, for instance, can generate text that is often indistinguishable from human written content with its vast training on billions of sentences. 
GPT-3 may or may not have helped me write this introduction to the podcast today. <laughs> Side note. Uh, with its vast training on billions of sentences, it has the ability to produce relevant and useful information. These advancements have fueled hopes like leveraging large language models in various text-heavy business applications like translation and localization. However, the initial hype and excitement surrounding large language models have exposed their limitations. As we explore this article from Multilingual Magazine, um, we're going to talk to industry expert, long-standing industry expert and technology expert, Kirti Vashi. Let me just bring up the, the article here on screen. It's called The Limits of AI with Language. If you are following along at home with us, it is on page 20 of the Multilingual April edition. So you can even follow along with home at home with us. And this is research that was um, published in, in Multilingual and is also going to be published in the upcoming imminent report. And if you don't know about the imminent report, then I want to change that now because it is a great resource that a lot of people don't know about from our industry. Um, so not only are we going to be talking about multilingual, we're also going to be talking about the imminent report. And I would like to just play a quick video for us to help introdu introduce us to what that is. So the imminent report is published in partnership between translated and multilingual publishing manages the actual publication of it. And why that is relevant to you guys listening today is because if you are a multilingual subscriber, then you will be receiving a free copy of the imminent report along with your next issue of multilingual. Now, don't worry, don't fret, there is still time to get your copy, I believe we have until tomorrow. So no pressure, but if you would like to save $99, I believe is what this report goes for in the, uh, in the aftermarket. If you'd like to save some money and still get your hands on an imminent report, you can go to multilingual.com, become a print subscriber today, and we'll make sure to get you, um, and you will be signed up in time to receive that yourself. So, after spending seven minutes of your guys' time introducing this podcast, let's introduce the man himself, Kirti Vashi. He is an independent translation technology expert and consultant specialized in developing and executing overall sales and marketing plans and strategy for startup companies and building and managing key partner and distribution channel partnerships. He has experience in successful small entrepreneurial companies as well as larger technology companies like EMC or larger um, EMC, Dow Jones, and Legato. He has written for Multilingual Magazine in, in the article we are featuring today. Uh, the article is called The Limits of AI with Language, as well as contributed to the 2023 Eminent Report and runs a fantastic blog too. Um, empty pages that I've been following forever. And I'm not sure if you're still updating that, Kirti, or if they're keeping you too busy to update. That. No, I, I still update it. So like like this stuff is also going to go in there. Nice. It's, it's a collection point. Very cool. Well, welcome to the show, Kirti. Thank you, Thank you. so much for contributing to um, Industry Knowledge by submitting your article and also for coming on the show today. Um, anything I'm leaving out for an introduction? No, was... no, you you've totally exaggerated what I've done, but that's wonderful. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the way I'd like to do this today is because it was, and I just reread it again this morning, your article from Multilingual, The Limits of AI with Language. And it's a great article. And I pulled out some quotes that I'd, I'd like us to go through today. So let's just, without further ado, dive right into it. Page 20, if you guys are following along at home. And I notice you make this this case. You, you start off your your piece by making this case that bigger is not necessarily better. And there's been a lot of talk about how much data different engines have been trained with when it comes to artificial intelligence and large language models. Um, but I'll, I'll just read from the article. It says a current trend in large language model development is to design ever larger models in an attempt to reach new heights. 
but no company has rigorously analyzed which variables affect the power of these models. These models can often produce amazing output, but also have a fairly high level of completely wrong factual hallucinations, where the machine simply pulls together random text elements in so confident a manner as to seem as to often seem valid to an untrained eye. But many critics are saying that larger models are unlikely to solve the problems that have been identified, namely the textual fabrication of false facts, the absence of comprehension, and common sense. And I think common sense is going to be a theme that's probably going to come up through our conversation today. But talk to me a little bit about this, Kirti, this fabrication. Yeah, I mean, large language models have been around for several years. And I, you know, originally, um, th there's one that is the most widely used one is one that Google came up with called BERT, mm. and it helped solve many kinds of uh, NLP problems, natural language processing problems. You know, summarization. It it helps in like a lot of the search that you see in in you know, capabilities within Google. Use these models to make it more effective. It, it helps you. Uh, pull together the right elements in uh, a language-engaged process. And so they're valuable tools. And, you know, the trend has been over the last few years to say that, okay, you know, we're seeing this performance with, with this, the, the BERT model, for example. What if we added more and more data? And would we gather more knowledge? Would we get a better understanding of what is happening? Would we become more effective? You know, so that was the thinking in the research community that let's let's expand the coverage and see what happens. And so, you know, GPT-3 was an example of like a really huge model. It cost like 10 to 20 million dollars to, to, to train. And it's also expensive to run. You know, so when you have so much data that needs to be referenced every time you ask the computer to do something. You know, there's there's lots of computing going on. So wonderful for companies like NVIDIA and people who make AI hardware, mm -hmm. but yeah. expensive for the people that provide it, you know, and because everybody expects stuff on the computer, uh, stuff on the net to be free nowadays. Right. But so, you know, what has happened is that- <laughs> Trust me, I, saw... I sell research for a living on the internet. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's rough out there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so you know, so the, the models have done amazing things, and you know, the way they assess that okay, this this is a really cool thing and it's amazing, is they test it against other kinds of educational tasks that you know human beings perform, mm -hmm. so like you know, you know, like language exams that uh, high school students go through, or even graduate students, or even college students, even law lawyers, you know, the test that lawyers, lawyers do. But the thing is that all these AI technologies are going to do well at the stuff they've seen. Right. So if you've seen 20 years of, you know, legal exams, you know, like the, the bar exam, you know, whatever the text from that is, or you've seen GMAT exams, or if you've seen GRE exams, if you've seen them, you're likely to do well on them because it's already data you have seen. Right. And what you're essentially doing is you're just sending in a query saying that what's the answer to this question? And, and you know, the computer goes back, pulls from this massive database of stuff it has seen and it answers the question. And yes, it, you know, it's, it gives you the right answer, but that is not an indication of understanding of the question. It is not an indication that it understands even that whether the answer is right or wrong, it just, it's a, it's a data matching exercise. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of the excitement is around how frequently the data is matched accurately. But there's also many cases where it's not matched accurately. Right. And, and so when. And it's hard to yeah. tell when it's because it's ChatGPT is a liar. It, it's a damn dirty liar. And it won't tell you when it's lying. And I think you made this point, you, you drew this analogy in your, your article that it's like a parrot. And I had a parrot growing up, I have a parrot now flying somewhere around behind me and parrots can talk. And because parrots can talk, a lot of times people say, wow, parrots are super smart birds. They must be so intelligent. 
And they are, they're smart birds, but their talking is not the same as comprehending. They're just repeating, they're parroting, literally, um, information back at you. And I believe there's a lot of that going on with these these different models. I'm gonna talk a lot about ChatGPT because that's what I use like on a daily basis. And what I've learned is that it gives really eloquent answers but sometimes it's just it, it's full of shit right and i think i have a quote about from from your article about the difference between lying and bullshitting and yeah. it, it's a great it's a great bullshitter you, you bring right. this up another quote from your article well spoken but untrustworthy if you dig deeper you discover although its output is grammatical and even impressively idiomatic its comprehension of the world is often seriously off you can never really trust what it says. Unreliable AI that is pervasive and ubiquitous is a potential creator of societal problems on a grand scale. So you kind of link this to society as a whole and the ramifications. I mean, let's go beyond the language services industry and let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so like, you know, there was this guy, Gregory Hinton, who was a scholar at Google. He's one of the big, big figures. He's the one who came up with some of the machine learning innovation that has driven large language model, you know, progress. And he just resigned recently from Google, not because he thinks Google is doing anything wrong, but just so he can speak more openly about the danger of large language models. And he specifically, you know, gave two examples. He's saying that what, you know, this is a computer program. So you throw some text in, it gives you some text back. And often there's a very good match between the text that you threw in and the text it gave you back. But if you are a bad actor, and he he specifically identifies two bad actors. So he said, you know, if in the hands of people like Putin and DeSantis, you know, he named DeSantis together with Putin. Um, all right. So much for so much for keeping this podcast non-controversial. But all right, no, go but on. I'm, I'm just, Let's hear it. I'm, Greg, this is a, a direct quote from Greg I, I Hinton, where he's saying that they could use this technology to influence how people think about things. So if you just bombard people with misinformation that you use these tools to do, because it's you know it's a tool. It it can produce information at scale. It can produce hundreds and thousands of blogs that you put in 10 different languages all over the web. And you can influence how, you know, how things happen in real life, you know, so you can scale influence. Yeah, you could influence the political outcome, for example, in Florida, you know, by targeting certain kinds of people, creating fear, uncertainty, doubt with information that is not factual, but is designed to manipulate you know, and perceptions. So this is the danger. You know, I I don't think that it's going to become so smart that it's going to become Skynet. But, you know, I think it's more in the hands of bad actors. It will influence the way people think about Ukraine, for example, in the hands of Putin. They can use this already. You know, there's people that suspect that the, the Russians had a hand in changing the narrative to enable Trump to come to power. So, you know, the, the, the nature of social media today is that people live in echo chambers and you can fill echo chambers up with misinformation and then change the perceptions and have a societal impact. You know, that's, that's the danger, I guess, the, the, the most clear danger. You know, I don't see how it, it can come up and then suddenly a computer teaches another computer how to behave and then we take control of the weapon systems and then we bomb everything you know that's kind of scenario yeah i think is far from true or far from reality but bad actors mm-hmm. taking powerful text generation uh technology and filling the web up with crap is really you know a realistic scenario it's the the butlerian jihad for any dune fans out there yeah. and and, and it, i say all I agree with everything that you just said and add the words at scale because right now I can get a room full of 20 people with laptops um, posting misinformation out there. 
but this allows real it allows the mimicry of human responses so it, it can lead to a potential future where you're never sure if you're reading something from a human or whether you're reading something that's written even today if i'm reading a news article i'm questioning how much of this was automatically generated right right no so so we start suspecting is this accurate or not you know so I think in the last few years, it's become much more, uh, you know, reasonable to say that, I, okay, I just read something on the BBC. Is it true? I mean, is this actually something, you know, like the, just a few days ago, there was a, a story created by one of these uh, LLMs um, about the Pentagon being bombed. And it took a while before people figured out that this was not true. So for a few hours, it was actually true for many people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. people thought, oh, you know, my God, there's a war starting. You know, the Russians have done something, you know, whatever. People start re responding as if it is true. Right. And, you know, this is, I think, the danger is that you fill the public mind with noise that is dangerous. We're, we're easy to confuse, especially when we gather in large groups. Um, right. I see we already have some chat, so I'm going to go over to Zainab, um, forgive my pronunciation, but Zainab Gomleskis. Uh, why do you believe that even though GPT-3 and ChatGPT have significantly improved in their ability to avoid hallucinations since their initial release, there will always be a lingering challenge that prevents a complete resolution of this issue? So a couple things well, to break down in there. Like, first of all, do we, do you, Kirti, as the expert, uh, my opinion doesn't matter, but do you believe that the hallucinations have gotten better since it was initially released? Yeah. So the, the way they con control egregious responses, because the original chat GP3 was completely racist. You know, if you said. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. You know, if an Arab man walks into a supermarket, what is he going to do next? And. It would say stuff like he's going to pull out a bomb and you know blow some stuff up you know it, it actually would do that because that was the stuff it was trained on yeah it was trained on so, reddit <laughs> subreddit and, yes it was trained on reddit it was trained on the views yeah. of young 20 to 45 year old white men who uh have strong opinions about a lot of stuff but may not have all the facts and so the, you know that information influences the, the you know what these models are going to say but so yeah so what they have developed certain things to minimize the really dangerous behavior these things are not eliminated you know in the same way machine translation still hallucinates you can make machine translation has been around for i don't know 70 years neural machine translation has been around for like eight years now and you can still make machine translation hallucinate because it's a property of the technology. Mm -hmm. The technology is learning from identifying patterns in text. And there are patterns when it doesn't have, you know, high levels of confidence when it hasn't seen a lot of data around a certain pattern. When you, you know, when you make a request to the machine, it will make guesses. Yep. So it's not that the machine is, has any malice. The no. machine is just... Looking machine. for text, it's like, okay, here's text. This looks like it would fill this out nicely. Yeah. It's making a prediction of what words would fit nicely with the words you asked. Right. And so there will all, there's a long tail of problems that will always continue. And, you know, people like people who are real experts, not like people like me, but, you know, uh, Jan Lacun, who's the head of AI at, at Facebook, at Meta, he said that there's, there's no way that the current approach you know the what's called uh reinforced learning with human feedback you know this is how you sort of curtail the bad behavior of large language models you're saying that this is an endless path you'll be doing this forever because there's always going to be something that comes up sure and when you have so much data that's it's coming from it's very hard to clean it out so that you you know that it will not be a factor in future. So yeah, ChatGPT is wonderful stuff. The most wonderful thing I think about it is that here's a scenario where you can ask a computer to do something for you and you don't have to be a programmer. You don't have to be 
a guy who's gone to user training on how to do this. Even for right. translation memory, you have to go to a few hours of user training before you can use it properly. Well, and and that's the thing. It's to- like this stuff has been around for a while. It just yeah. hasn't been accessible to the public. And nowadays, right. so, anybody can pay 20 bucks a month for a subscription or just use right. the free version and log right. in. You can just use the free version. And right. you can ask, start asking questions and you can. Sometimes, a lot of times, you do get the right answer. You know, and it's yeah. useful at some level. You know, it's not like deep knowledge that you would get. So if you have like, for example, I have expertise in machine translation. When I ask you questions about machine translation, it gives largely correct answers. Yeah but it's they're superficial they're like what you would expect a college student to go and gather and you know like you you only give him two days to do it then that's what he would do but they're not insightful they're not they don't reflect any kind of understanding and real value in terms of like okay this is what i would base a strategy on right Um, so even like i've heard people who code say that yeah it produces very clean generic code but I would not put this into production without humans going over it. So right. like machine translation, if it really matters, you need to have humans monitor and clean it up and authenticate and validate it. Yeah. Because yeah, if, if, you it do it, if you use it that way, then yeah, of course it's super valuable. You know, I, you would not use it to produce all your research, for example, you know, just saying, no. oh, well, people want to see a report on internationalization. Let's just pull the stuff out from from ChatGPT and publish it as a report. Where it helps, where it helps, because I think we forget it's a language model, right? And where it right. helps is like if I need to write a report, and I've done things like, hey, here is a table full of data, ChatGPT. Like here is a bunch of columns of data. Can you please summarize this into a couple paragraphs for me? And exactly. then I'll get that paragraph, and you better believe I'm editing the snot out of it because it's fine it sounds really good it sounds professional but there might be some big glaring things in there that i definitely would not want to publish right exactly it's a great outlining tool it's a great start off you know like if i'm starting a process of writing it 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 right eliminates the blank page problem you know so you, yes. you've got something and then i can do add this oh no this is not the right emphasis let me change that exactly you know, so, it gets you going. Exactly. And that's valuable. You know, that's what a computer is, is an assistant. Mm-hmm. A computer is not something that's going to take your job away because it does too many stupid things. Right. Exactly. And, Let, let's go so, back to the chat. I want to, before we it's gets out of hand here. Um, let's see. Where where was it? LinkedIn user. And someone clarified. This is Chris Durbin. Hi, Chris Durbin. Does note that a lot of the pitches by bulk vendors of translation services claiming expertise and perfection at rock bottom rates is already fairly hallucinatory well before AI. And I like this comment because it's somewhat controversial. Um, We're seeing this a lot and we're seeing this as we continue to research the industry and talk to client client side folks all of the time. There's some LSPs out there that are coming in with rock bottom rates um, how much of that is a hallucination versus reality? Because, and I, I know Translated's doing really, really good stuff with machine translation, um, too. So, what can you tell us about that? Well, I mean, if you use low quality resources to do knowledge work, what they will produce is going to be dubious value or it will be of low quality so what chris is targeting chris has deep expertise in financial markets you know she is an interpreter for george zoros and you know she understands what matters in a financial market discussion why is the stock price moving up or down these are this subtle kinds of things you have to read between the words. You know, this is an issue that all computers have. They look at the text and the text, the looking is a very literal process. There's no insight into what is the context around it. Hmm. So this is where all machine learning falls short. You know, they don't understand context. Um, in my version of the blog, which I, you know, I just took the, the, the stuff I did in multilingual and I, I put in a picture 
of an iceberg. So what machine learning looks at is the tip of the iceberg, but it doesn't look at the context, you know, the social context, the historical context, the cultural context, the emotional stuff, you know, like, so these are all, so when you and I talk, I mean, maybe not so much in this scenario, but when two human beings talk, they think 10 things before they say the one thing that they do say. But those 10 things they thought about are deeply influential in what they actually say. So even, even in like just a father and son conversation, yeah. So like, you know, this thing here. Um, um, I, yeah, you can't really you see it. You can't but, really see um, it, sorry. Let me, let me try to get a bigger version of this. But it's, it's uh, there's too many layers, hidden layers. You know, the, the nature of machine learning is that say, let's take what we can find and then let's find the patterns in it and then we'll project these patterns everywhere we go and uh, you know we think that by seeing millions and billions of sentences we will gather knowledge we will understand the subject mm. and i'm one of those people who believes that understanding does not come from looking at just the words the words are literal there's you have to look between the words you have to look around the words and you have to look under the words, you know, then you, that's where understanding happens. You know, when you talk to your child, you know, or you talk to your wife, there's the words are very, just the tip of the iceberg. There's all kinds of understanding and insinuation and implication and, you know, context that is in a communication. And this is the, the thing. So, you know, especially with speech, it's, you know, you have tone and you have, uh, you know, other factors that are in place, but even with written words, right. You know, the written words are just the tip of the iceberg. You know, they, they give you some of the basic idea of what the communication is about, but it doesn't give you all the context and like, especially like common sense, because there is no notion, there is no understanding of common sense in any of no, these. No, it's just algorithm. It's just mathematical equations. In, in machine translation also, you know, in machine right. translation, it would give you a perfect translation, the house sat on the mat. You know, it's a, technically it's an accurate translation, but a human being would say, well, a house would not sit on a mat. Right. And, you know, it doesn't make sense to translate that, but the computer would do it. Right. Because there is no, you know, uh, standard understanding of how the world works. I love how you put it in, in the article. I'll bring it up on screen here. Um, languages are the external artifacts that we use to encode the infinite number of thoughts we might have in so many ways then in building ever larger language models, machine learning and data-driven approaches are trying to chase infinity in a futile attempt to find something that is not even there in the data. And I, I, I love this just because it sounds poetic, the way that you put this. And secondly, because it's, you know, they're not, they're not going to ever get it. The machines aren't going to get it because yeah. what they're looking for isn't even there. It's just, exactly. and you said, I have too many quotes. I can't remember which ones are where to pull up on screen. But you made the point in the article that we've spent 200,000 years evolving as a species to be able to understand these subtle body movement, subtle expression, subtle languages. And we've developed this thing, we've evolved this thing called language, which is meant to help us convey and convey thoughts and communicate with each other. And it's taken us 200,000 years to do that. And it's kind of unreasonable to think that a machine would be anywhere near able to pick all of that stuff up. Right. I mean, the, the, they can only look at the words and they can find, you know, some level of, of comprehension and accuracy by looking at billions of sentences. You know, so it's not like it doesn't add value because it's, it helps you gather all the rel related stuff very quickly, but it doesn't have any insight because it doesn't have the the deeper context, the non-spoken context, the, the context that is not in the words. Right. It can only give you the context that is in the, the actual word. And so th there's too much in human um, communication, in human you know, language that is unspoken, that is understood, 
by you know by uh, context and by you know just being a human life you know living being because you you have visual you have audio you, know, mm-hmm. you have all these multiple senses and you have history you have racial history you have you know cultural history you have all these elements that color the words that but are not clear to the computer because the computer has no notion of these now i don't know maybe it's possible that there there are people at open ai they're saying okay well let's do cultural training on this computer now and let's teach it about all these things but then who decides what's the right you know definition of each culture you know then you become you then you you go back into this potential bad actor mode where you can make you know, there's there's a, a guy who's written a a thing about a right wing j- chat GPT, where it will just anything you ask, it'll give you a right wing view, and and so it's a it's a way to influence how you know people receive information. Right. Yeah. Another another great quote while we're on this topic is um, you call this the missing text phenomenon, and believe that this is at the the heart of a lot of the challenges that they're having. I'll read the quote here for those listening as a podcast. In human communication, an utterance by a speaker has to be decoded to get to the specific meaning intended by the listener for understanding to occur. There is often a reliance on common background knowledge so that communication utterances do not have to spell out all of the context. That is, for effective communication, we do not say what we can all assume we know. This genius optimization process that humans have developed over 200,000 years of evolution works quite well, precisely because we all know what we all know. But this is where the problem is with NLU. Uh, By NLU, we're saying natural language understanding. Right. Right. So the understanding is is i think an impossibility with computers right and that's that's the hard part and that's kind of one of the theses of of your article here is like because we always hear nlp natural language processing um but this is the first time i've ever read nlu natural language understanding so but this is where the problem is in nlu machines don't know what we leave out because they don't know what we all know the net result, NLU is diff, natural language understanding is difficult because a software program cannot understand the thoughts behind our linguistic utterances if they cannot somehow uncover all that stuff that humans leave out and implicitly assume in their linguistic communication. Very well put. Yeah, so it's, it's just, it's all about the context, you know, the, and what an expert translator does over you know, the really cheap translator is that they understand, for example, the financial markets, and they understand that when you say something about an earnings uh, reduction in a financial statement, it can have very strong negative impact on your stock price. So you say it in a very careful way. Right. And that that manipulation is the the contextual understanding is hidden in there, but it's not stated. So, you know, it's in, in so many factors in human life, um, in medical situations, you know, I have pain. And to a doctor, that's really useless because where is the pain? How strong is it? You right. know, what part of the body? How long has it been around? You know, have you had this on and off? You know, you need all that context right. before the doctor can actually do something. With it. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of like that. There is, in words don't contain everything you need to know and what computers do is they just look at words and they say okay i'll learn the pattern here and by looking at billions of sentences and now with uh with gpt4 it's estimated that it's like 500 times more than gpt3 so it's like trillions of sentences but they're still seeing the same problems hallucinations sometimes you know uh unreliable, you know, kinds of uh, extrapolations of, you know, conclusions it draws. Um, So it's just, it's not um, reliable completely. You have to use with care. Yeah. And there's, there's this whole expertise or skill set that's developing around prompt engineering. And we've published about it over at NIMSY. There's an excellent piece by Nadia. I believe it's partners only. But if you'd like to understand more about what prompt engineering is, it's um, there's a great article here on nimsy.com. Essentially, what it is is um, 
being able to talk to the machine in a way that it has a lot of that stuff. So you don't just say, write me an introduction for my podcast. You say, write an introduction about a podcast. The topic is going to be here. Um, here's an excerpt from the article. Um, here's an excerpt from the guest bio. And so you kind of have to like train it and give it the, yeah. the what, who, how, when, and, and all of that stuff that's coming up. Yeah, because you, you're dealing with a mindless database. And so you have the interactions need to be informed. So you know, okay, it's going to pull data based on the text I give it. Right. And the text I give it has to be as rich and complete as possible. Pretend, assume you are an expert translator. And so now I have this. It is a translation about information technology. So make sure that you understand these critical terminologies around, you know, internet protocols before you attempt this translation. You know, so if you give it that kind of context, then yeah, it's 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 like a it's like a really well thought out search. Um, yeah. You know, search. Uh, well, I, I've said that uh, for, all along, so way before this. I said Googling is a skill. Knowing yeah. how to Google you get the something. Right yeah, otherwise it, you get a lot of crap. Yeah, yeah. otherwise you get a lot of crap. Um, no different here with ChatGPT. We just have a fancy name for it. It's called prompt engineering. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk. Well, let, let's go over to the comments here and check in on those guys. I've been watching you over here in chat and looks like you guys are having a strong conversation without us and no need for us to to dive in here um i don't see any open questions from you guys but adam good to see you eduardo i saw george in there somewhere hi george um yeah, I don't see any questions for us to respond to, but I want to just say that I appreciate you guys engaging over there in chat. Let's move on because I want to talk about common sense before um, before we have run out of time today. You know, as my dad used to say or still says, common sense ain't so common. And exactly. this is one of the areas where um, it's especially not common with the um with the machines so in your kind of one of your concluding statements here you quote gary marcus the ceo of robust.ai <clears throat> and i'll just read it from the article uh the great irony of common sense and indeed ai itself is that it is stuff that pretty much everybody knows yet nobody seems to know what exactly it is or how to build machines that possess it i love that so everyone so I'll read that again. Common sense is uh, pretty much what everybody knows, but nobody knows what exactly it is or how to build machines to possess it. Uh, quoted from Gary Marcus, CEO and founder of Robust.ai. Um, he continues, solving this problem is, we would argue, the single most important step towards taking AI to the next level. Common sense is a, a critical component to building AIs that can understand what they read that control robots that can operate usefully and safely in the human environment that can interact with human users in reasonable ways common sense is not just the hardest problem for ai in the long run it's also the most important problem and you have an example in there that you pulled from somewhere about alexa almost electrocuting a little girl yeah. right tell us about that yeah i mean so there was a a case where you know, Alexa can be told to play quiz games with children, you know, to as kind of an educational uh, engagement. And one of the tests, the one of the instructions that Alexa, Alexa gave to a, I think it was a 10 or 11 year old child, uh, is to take a penny and put it into the power outlet. And if you do that, you know, pennies made of copper, the power outlet has electricity, there's a chance you get electrocuted. So it's, it's a game, it's just fabricating stuff. And Alexa is really primitive relative to any of these large language models. You know? So it's, maybe it's not quite fair to use Alexa as the, right. the, the whipping boy here. Sure. Because it's, it's in terms of um, evolution in this technology, Alexa is barely, you know, is, a, is, a, is an insect compared right. to... 
these small animals that we have running around in, in large language models. Which is, but I which, think this is the this is the danger. Like it, it will tell you to do certain things. I mean, you know, it's possible if you can bypass the guardrails that they put around ChatGPT um, to say ask like I have a, a you know a kid at high school, say an uh, unhappy kid who's bullied a lot. Mm-hmm could possibly find a way, because he's also really good with computers, um, could ask the chat GPT, I want to use some kind of chemical that I can put on this guy's hand so he starts feeling sick and maybe even needs to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are chemicals that can do that. And I guess you could do this through search anyway. You know, so that's what some of the critics say that, well, you could do that through search anyway. You could find what drugs would help me kill someone without anyone being able to trace that it was done. Right. You know, you could actually do search, searches on that, or you could do searches on how do, how do I build bombs. And, but the thing is that ChatGPT gives you very nicely packaged responses. So it's not like you have to pull this and that and get, gather it all together. It just, it packages it up for you. And if you know how to ask the questions, like the prompt stuff you're talking about, mm-hmm. it will give you a ready-made answer that like maybe a formula and a recipe to do it. And, it, that is kind of you know one of the the dangers around skillful use by kids that have some kind of personal agenda you know they're bullied and they they want to make sure they're going to teach the bully a lesson and stuff like that could happen mm-hmm. yeah you it's know? yeah it's a good point is like you could do all of this before with search engines um yeah. it's just a much better user experience and it's much quicker yeah if it's you can, much quicker if you can trust it, the results it's, uh, it's you know, and it's it it spells it out for you in a way that could make it more dangerous. But you know, I mean, it, there is some validity to the criticism that yeah, well, you could do this with search anyway. So what you know, why are you making such a big deal about this? Right. But the it's the confidence with which what it it gives you when it gives you misinformation. Right. You know, I think is the that's what irritates me. Very big risk. I I don't want to like um humanize it because it doesn't make sense to get mad at it it's not a person right Yeah, but there is no malice but i forget that because it's so the responses sound so real it's like you forget just like when you're talking to a parrot you kind of forget that you're talking to a bird sometimes and you're like you're prescribing human emotions to it and it just straight up lies to me and i get mad when i catch it in a lie you know i've learned to do things like hey give me 10 points on xyz topic and it'll be like okay here's 10 points on xyz topic and i'm like all right give me links to the evidence that support these points right and it's like oh i couldn't find any or you know it doesn't say i couldn't find any right but then i actually go visit those links i'm like that's not what this is right and but it just does it with confidence and that's what's scary that's what that's what's scary it's the it's the certainty with which it presents what it presents. And so if you're not careful and if you're just looking for a quick and dirty response, it can be useful as a starting point, but it's not an end point. And I mean, in the same, you know, it's like, would you get upset when a machine translation is wrong? Because we know that there's times it's not, it's not going to be right. And why do we do post editing? Right. You know, machine translation has been around 70 years. The transformer technology that is used in large language models came from machine translation. Mm. The same guys who built the transformer are the guys that are doing all these large language model initiatives. You know, they're now in 10 different companies. A couple of them are at OpenAI, but they are the guys. They were guys who are focused on empty problems. Mm. And it was just, how can we use this technology to handle language-related problems, you know, to solve language-related challenges. Yeah. And um, the, the there is actually a lot of the problems we've seen in the history of machine translation. We're beginning to see them again. This is a new cycle of the same kinds of problems. Over-promise, under-deliver. Right. right. Uh, magnificent expectations, but in reality, it's kind of mediocre. The, the, you know, so the hype curve is of, real. These patterns are the same kind of things, you know, yeah, there's much more, you know, like I, Franz Ock at Google Translate was saying in five years, you're not going to need human translators. So, you know, this is the history of these kind of guys. Yeah, you know, they said that oh, five yeah, years ago, the they data, said that I've 10 years computers. ago, they said it 15 yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, so now the same, 
cycle we're going through. Oh, when we get 60 trillion sentences in there, we're not going to see any hallucinations. No, it's not. It's a structural problem. It, it yeah. will continue. It's an understanding problem. It's a common it, sense it's an problem. It's, it's, it's not... an, yeah, common sense and understanding. Without that, how do you know what is right or wrong? Yeah. You know, it cannot go and solve new problems in a way it hasn't seen data. That's what human beings can do. Human yeah. beings, you can say, okay, you know nothing about, you know nothing about large language models, but now your life depends on it. You need to go and learn something and tell me why I shouldn't use it. So if your life depends about it, and if I say I'm going to kill your parrot if you don't learn this, then I'm going to learn enough to make sure my parrot stays alive. Right. You know? <laughs> and so you know, we we will find the information we need. We will go through multi-modal explorations and gathering activities. And we'll find what we need to solve the problem yeah. or to learn, or at least to begin to learn to solve the problem. So that acquisition process is a very specialized human activity, you know, that that's intelligence. Yeah. This is patent matching and patent pr projection. This is not intelligence. Yeah. It's a bad name, you know, bad word. Artificial intelligence is not the right term here. Well, they got half of it right. I would say, yeah, <laughs> the term is correct. So what you're saying is, we still need that human in the loop. And being yeah. the king of segues here, I'm gonna um, segue into this last quote. I'm gonna pull up here uh, from your article, um, and you conclude by saying, "Yes, you know, there's a place for this, but we're definitely still gonna need a human in the loop." Um, to quote from the article, thus. When we consider the goal of understanding and wanting to be understood, we must admit that it is this is very likely always going to require a human in the loop, even when we get to building deep learning models with trillions of words. The most meaningful progress will be related to the value uh, will be related to the value and extent of the assistive role that language AI will play in enhancing our ability to communicate, share, produce, and digest knowledge. Human in the loop is the process of leveraging machine power and enabling high-value human intelligence interactions to create continuously improving learning-based AI improvements back into the model. Human in the loop is broader, encompassing active learning approaches and data set creation through human labeling. So whenever I hear about human labeling and training of engines, I always picture like that scene in Saving Private Ryan where they're like making the soldier dig his own grave, <laughs> right? I'm sure there's a bunch of other movies like that. You know, it's like using humans to train the machines that will eventually replace us. Do you foresee it as that kind of model or will there always be a place for human in the loop? Well, I think with language, the possibility of the machine completely mastering it in my lifetime is not going to happen, but it could happen, you know, I don't know. It could You know, you could get quantum computers and you could actually build models of the world where there is some kind of common sense in there and so the machine can itself judge okay that looks that's what i got from the database but it's a crap answer i need to find something else mm. and when the machine is able to do those kinds of things you know so like people like gary marcus say that machine learning just by looking at data is not enough we also need to give it logic infrastructure. So it's, you can say that when something is big, it cannot fit into something that is small. You know, that's common sense, but the machine doesn't know that. You know, you could say, I can put, let's put your, my, your house in my purse and let's go for a walk. Mm. You know, the, the machine would do that naturally because there's no common sense there. But if you start combining symbolic, you know, uh, modeling with, database learning maybe there's some point in the future when the computing power is enough and there's enough symbolic logic in the computer that you could have some kind of semblance of of common sense and then maybe there is you know it i think it's a very distant thing but you know there's a lot of excitement right now that oh we're moving exponentially and we're going to do and there's still guys talking about machine translation is a solved problem and you know we've got you know we, we can give you perfect translation but then you still need the human in the loop right because it's accurate 80 90 percent of the time even but there's it's always that 10 percent. it's not good enough yeah well especially it's always going to be some part 90 percent of the time 
could be good enough if I knew which 90% of the time it was. <laughs> Yeah. Right. If I knew all, all the right, estimate, these nine are it, correct. It, it, right. Yeah. So, so this is so that's why I'm saying the machine translation. Looking at machine translation closely is a good way to understand what is likely to happen with large language models because they're actually based on very very similar technology. Well, there we have it. So for the foreseeable future, we're, we still need that human in the loop. I'm going to, Kirti, anything that we forgot to bring up? We're running out of time here, but for, before I let you go, um, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to be seen as someone who is, uh, is not, uh, does not see large language models as a really promising technology that's going to become kind of a fact of our mm -hmm. daily lives. Right. You're not a naysayer. They improve, yeah. yeah. They have to improve. I think the very large language models, I think it's already clear, even to open AI, that, okay, going further down this road is not going to make it better. We mm. need to find other ways to improve. And other ways to improve means let's get the right kind of data, just like in machine translation, if you get the right kind of data, high quality human monitored data, then you're going to get better models than if you just got a big mass of dirty data, you know, just any and every data. So having more focused problem solving kinds of data sets, you could have, you know, systems that help doctors and patients interact with each other, mm -hmm. share information on a much faster scale. You could have systems that, you know, do very specific tasks well and where the assistant is really useful. Yeah. Um, but you will have to tune it and take much more care around the data that you feed it and that it learns from. Um, I think open source, my personal view is that open source is going to displace Google and OpenAI. Oh. That the, the best stuff will come from open source rather than from open AI. I hope so. Google. I hope so. And, you know, just like it's happened with machine translation. Right. If for the longest time, you know, you couldn't, no individual translator could mess with machine translation because they didn't have the computing power, they didn't have the data, they couldn't do it. But what Adaptive MT does is it makes it possible. Yeah. And, you know, in the same way, you need highly adaptive learning systems, large language models. That they're large, but they're not as large as the open AI stuff or the Google stuff. And that's where I expect it will go. Um, well, you've been following the space for a long time and will be, you know, knock on wood for a long time in the future too. So I'm going to put a link here in the chat to Kirti's blog. It's called Empty Pages. It's a great blog. I've been checking that out since long before Nimsy even existed here. Um, I also want to put a link in here for the imminent report. Report. What am I doing? I have people watching that can do this. Eddie, can you please put some links? I put the imminent report <laughs> and why am I trying to multitask? Eddie, if you could put a link in there for Multilingual Magazine where people can subscribe. Remember folks, this is the last chance to subscribe before tomorrow if you want to get your beautiful copy of this imminent report. And I'm just gonna hold it up here. I, I got a physical copy already because, because I'm better than you. I get special treatment. Um, it is a beautiful book. It's a beautiful, beautifully printed, um, really great insights in here. And I think every office that cares about language and localization and not even just language and localization, but the future of technology and global business needs to have a copy of that there. So Kirti, thank you so much for joining us today. I'll thank you one more time and everyone go follow Kirti on empty pages blog, follow Kirti on LinkedIn. And I'm going to take us out here, ladies, gentlemen, that, that thank you Kirti that is all the time that we have today uh join me next time when we're talking next week um I'm not even going to be there but Roman is leading a session on internationalization with a bunch of really knowledgeable folks in our industry so if internationalization is something that you're passionate about learning more about then go check that out 
uh once again subscribe to nimsy live and you'll be the first people to be notified when we go live or, or when nimsy publishes new research and thank you to Kirti. Thank you to you guys joining us today. Thank you to all of my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all of the whole work or all of the work so that I can do this fun stuff. And we will see you next time. Cheers.